He had a great time at Hear Through here last week, so I hope you really benefited from hearing all that he had to share. If you missed Simon Foster's last week, his message on faith and sexuality, uh, take a moment to go on the web. I know it's available just now. You can download that and hear what he had to say. Overall, in the next couple of months, we're going to be looking at relationships. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, we looked at dating the Bible way, and tonight we're going to continue on that theme, looking at life as a single person, trying to find your partner for life. We're going to focus on that theme again. I want to recommend a book. Over the next couple of months in the evening meetings, we're going to have books available uh, for sale. We've got them from Wesley Owen. Is it just Wesley Owen prices, is it? The cost price, yeah. Brought some books in that are kind of classics, and they're on different themes. We're going to have them available every week, so you can buy them any week as long as they're available. Uh, But the one I want to plug tonight, which lines up with tonight's message, is Maximize Manhood. Now, apparently there's six of these left in the world, and we've got them all here tonight. So they are out of print, uh, but Wesley Owen managed managed to get them. So Maximize Manhood, there's maybe six guys out here who could do with this. Uh, Please get hold of this book. Honestly, I read this book, and it made me into the man I am now. This book is revolutionary. So guys, get hold of this book. uh, Fight your way to it. The real men will get there first because they'll batter all the other guys. It's a real test of strength. Uh, I think it's 4.99, and it's got a picture of his wife in the back as well. So there you go. Thanks a lot. Cheers. Maximize manhood. That's been my plug for tonight, and get hold of that. But if you can't get it tonight, if they sell out on Amazon, they do sell maximize manhoods uh, used and new copies. So, okay, let's pray, and then we'll get into tonight's message. Father, thank you that you're with us. Thank you, God, that you created the whole concept of marriage and the whole concept of life and being in relationship and God it's your idea and we just pray God tonight that you would guide us as we look at some scriptures that Holy Spirit you would speak to us and at the end of the meeting tonight as we baptize some people that God for them it'd be an important moment of saying goodbye to their past and saying hello to the future with you in Jesus name amen amen we had a wedding here on Saturday and I don't know if you were close enough to hear, but it was Alison and Eric, maybe some of you remember them, they've moved up to Inverness to be part of uh, Destiny in the Highlands there. They had some marriage preparation and kind of equipping for the actual wedding ceremony on Saturday. Now, Alison was particularly nervous about the whole ordeal and about how it was all going to go on the day. She's one of these people who kind of flusters, flusters about stuff, so she was all worried about it. So Kirsty, who was the wedding planner, she had a little headset and she looked like Jennifer Lopez and she had a notepad and running around frantically. She, she did a great job being a wedding planner. She gave us Alison some advice before she came. She said, it's dead simple. This is part of the rehearsal. What will happen is you'll arrive... You'll walk down the aisle, you'll come to the altar, and you'll sing the first hymn. Simple. So Alison said, right, okay, aisle, then altar, then hymn. Great, no problem. So I don't know if you heard her, but as she was walking down the aisle before her wedding, you could hear her as she was walking down, just trying to go through this in her head. She was saying, aisle, altar, hymn. Aisle, altar, hymn. Aisle, altar, hymn. And Eric got very nervous as he heard her. I'll alter him. And so often that's how uh, people go into marriage. Yeah, they're a mess, but when I get hold of them, I'll alter them. Actually, it's the wrong emphasis because you can't change someone else. And if you try, you might distance yourself from them. And there's nothing worse than someone trying to fix you. Any husbands been trying to... No, don't show me your hands. <laughs> a bit like... Oh, sorry. 
It's nothing worse. Husbands, agree silently. Nod within yourself. <laughs> I feel your plea. Right? There's nothing worse than having your wife trying to alter you. No, it just, it's horrible. Wives, it is bad. And equally, guys, don't try and alter her. But you can work on you. Uh, someone once said a successful marriage isn't finding the right person. It's being the right person. You see, the question is, the person of your dreams, you imagine them, picture them, picture their character qualities, picture how they appear and how they live and the kind of person they are. Then ask yourself, are you the kind of person they would want to marry? No. <laughs> There's no other answer, really, is there? You know, the person of your dreams is, are you the kind of person they would want to marry? And the fact is, you can do nothing to alter them. And if you try, you're trying to be God. And God entrusted us with free will. And the responsibility is our lives before God. And if you try and change people, you become manipulative. And you push people away. But who you can change is you. And I can change me. And as we work on being the best person we can be, being the best me that I can be, then I prepare myself in the best possible way for the future that God has for me, whatever that is. A couple of weeks ago, we looked at uh, dating the Bible way. We said that in the beginning, God created uh, men and women. And he said, uh, he talks about Adam and he said, it is not good for man to be alone. So he created Eve. It's not good for man to be alone. The general rule of thumb is this, that God wants people married. Nine out of ten people get married. It is normal marriage. It's equally normal if you're called to be single, to be single. Jesus said that some people are called to the single life. And for those people, they won't, they won't be bothered about it. They'll be totally at peace that for the rest of their life, they're going to be single. They've, they've got no issue with that. Jesus said, if you can accept it, you will. But for people who are called to be married, there'll be a desire in the heart to be married. And if that desire is in your heart, then according to the Bible, it's the will of God for you to be married. God said at the beginning when he saw Adam, he said, it's not good for him to be alone. And there are many reasons he said that. Well, men, when they're alone, they're a bit naff, to be honest. They, they have uh, very unhygienic ways. Their furniture consists of a leather sofa and a big TV. That's it. <laughs> it's not good for man to be alone. We need help. So typically, marriage is the rule of thumb that God would have for every individual. Um, here's, here's a verse, and it's an interesting starting point here. This is in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 5. And this is talking about one of the qualifications for a senior leader in the church, an overseer in the church. And this is what it says. If anyone does not know how to manage his own family, how can he take care of God's church? And here this verse is talking about, well, if you're going to be a senior leader in the church and your family's a total shambles, then we ain't going to let you loose with the church. In other words, if it doesn't work at home, don't export it. If, if, if you can't even lead your home and keep your family in order and bless your family and keep your family in a happy place, if, you, if your wife's struggling, if your kids are going crazy at you and you're just winding them up all the time, then we ain't going to let you loose on the church. Okay, that's, that's one of the bits of advice for a senior leader in the church. But equally, we could say, if you as a single person are total shambles, then do you think God's going to entrust you with someone else to care for? <laughs> so you can mess two people's lives up? I don't think so. But if you want the blessing of God in your life, my advice is this. 
be faithful with what you've got. Now, if you're single, be faithful with your life as a single person. Be the best you you can be, and then you line yourself up for the future that God has for you. So here's nine tips to help you and me be the best people that we can be. Tip number one, be a whole person, not a needy person. The fact is, all of us have a past. Now, the, the crazy thing is, the absolute crazy thing is, and I see it happen too often, where people's pasts ruins their future. It's horrendous. The past has done enough damage. Don't let it ruin your future. Your future is so precious. And the fact is, some of you think doom and gloom about your future. The fact is, that's a, that's a myth. Your future can be so exciting, so bright. Today, you've got life and breath and an ability to make choices. Exactly the same as every other person in this room. So there's no reason that you can't make it just like everyone else in this room can make it. You can have a great future. Your past need not hold you back. Your past is an enemy sometimes. The negative stuff in the past does not need to be what your future looks like. I promise you. And especially with God's help. And the, the, the Bible truth we believe is that God loved us so much he sent Jesus. And he came and he died on a cross for our sins. So that your sin, your brokenness, uh, your regrets, the way you've hurt God, hurt, hurt yourself and potentially hurt others. You've been abused and you've been an abuser. You know what? The amazing news is that can all be washed clean. You can be forgiven. And people are getting baptized tonight. And what they're doing in that act is these are people who have said, do you know what? I'm forgiven. My past is dead and buried. And this is like a burial. They're burying their old lives. And it's, it's representative of their new life in Christ, that they're coming out of the water into this new life in Christ. And they, you know, this can be for anyone that you can make a commitment to follow God and he can wash you clean like it never happens. It's amazing. It's amazing. It's free. Or should I say, it's free to you. But he paid a very high price to get it for you. He shed his blood on the cross. You could be forgiven. So tonight, I know this is not what we're talking about specifically, but for this moment, I want to say, if you don't know Jesus, if you're not following God, if you don't know that forgiveness that God offers you, it is the biggest gift. Don't leave, it would be crazy to leave the biggest, most expensive gift left unwrapped. That would be folly. That's the gift you want to open and make yours. That's the one. Of all the gifts, that's the one. Get God's forgiveness. Come to him tonight. He is only so willing to accept you. Your past can sometimes be your enemy of your future. So get help. As a single person, aim to become a whole person. Deal with the addictions Deal with the cycles. Tragically, so often, abused kids become abusive parents. The cycle continues. Sometimes alcoholic uh, parents breed alcoholic kids. And they become parents who are alcoholic. Or the kid who vows, I'm not going to be like my dad who beat, his, who beat my mum. You grow up and before you realize it, all the anger and the hatred in you starts manifesting itself in the way that you least wanted it to. And you become your dad. But the good news is the cycle can be totally broken. And the time to, sort, to deal with the cycle is not once you've hitched up. Although if you've hitched up, you can still deal with it. But the time to deal with the cycle is now. Break the cycle. And you know, sometimes, first of all, come to God. He can forgive you and help you and empower you to forgive and move on from your past. He really does do an incredible job of changing someone's life. He really does. Like no psychiatrist can, God can but, you know, I also want to advise you, maybe you need counseling. Maybe you need just to get free from your past. You need to 
go in depth with someone, someone who's trained, someone who's safe, who can help you through your issues so you can walk free. And we've got a counselor and staff here and we're other people in training and you can get that help. Maybe you don't need to go that deep. Maybe you just need someone who you can trust. Maybe one of the pastors in the church here, one of the leaders in the church can be a confidant for you, someone you can talk to, someone you can deal with some of the issues and pray through some of the things. That's great. But whatever happens, get free from your past. You see, sometimes life is like a Y junction. And so often what we do is we always take the same direction. You know, every time we come to that point, we always choose the same direction. We never get around to choosing the right direction. We always choose the wrong direction. And what happens when you choose the wrong direction is you take this Y, and if you look at the big picture, the Y comes right round and rejoins the road you're on, and you only have to make the decision again at some point in the future. You see, the fact is, so many people say it was their fault that relationship broke up. It was their situation that broke that up. And what they find is this, they get remarried and they find the same issues crop up. And they get remarried and the same issues crop up. Or they go into another relationship and the exact same issues crop up. Why? Because you're the problem. I'm the problem. We carry our problems with us. And instead of trying to change them, change you. Work on you. Don't manipulate others. Work on you. Deal with your past. And by God's grace, you can overcome. Here's a wee warning for you. In your time of needs, in your time of hurt, in your time of brokenness, that's a bad time to connect with someone. Sometimes if you are in a needy place yourself, if you are struggling through issues yourself, you might find solace in someone else. Someone who shows you compassion in that moment. And before you realize it, you might form an emotional attachment with that person in your time of needs. It's actually not a safe time for you to be making decisions like that. And by default, you might end up in a relationship through an emotional tie that might not have been the healthiest relationship. You see, relationships based on needs aren't healthy relationships. Relationships coming from a place of wholeness are the best place you can be at. So I want to encourage you, get whole. Now, to be honest, will we ever get totally whole? No. We're called human beings. And as long as we're stuck in this body, we're going to face issues. I know that. But there's a level of wholeness that, you'd, that I would advise. Get to the place where you've dealt with stuff. You're not carrying bitterness or emotional stuff that's going on and turmoil. Because all you will do is you'll import it into a marriage or into a relationship. And it would damage yourself and them. Hurt people. Hurt people. So become whole. I want to encourage you as well. Uh, specifically, ladies. Here's a, here's a verse for you from the book of Proverbs. Uh, chapter 30 and verses 21 to 23. Three, under, under three things, earthquakes. Under four, it cannot bear up. Under a slave, when he becomes a king. And a fool, when he's satisfied with food. Under an unloved woman, when she gets a husband. And under a, a maidservant, when she supplants her mistress. One of those comments was this. Under an unloved woman, when she gets a husband's. The Bible says the earth quakes when an unloved woman gets a husband's. If you are a needy person and you get a husband's, not only will your husband quake, the earth will quake. It's really dangerous. Earthquakes kill people. I tell you that because what will happen is you will take, take, take and you will not only damage him, you will damage you. My advice is this, if you feel unloved, you're believing a lie. First of all, we, we think you're cool. 
Secondly, there's a God in heaven who thinks the world of you. He thinks you're amazing. And I don't care what's been done to you. I don't care how many people have treated you bad. And do you know what? They ought not to have. They ought not to have. People who should have known better treated you bad. And they ought not to have. But that is not God's heart towards you. God thinks you're amazing. And God was upset at the way his creation treated you. That is not God's heart. God's heart towards you is love. The Bible says he knows the amount of his in your heads. He knew you when you were in your mother's womb and he cherished you. He's always loved you. He is not the cause of your problems. He's the one not to run from. He's the one to run to. He adores you. He truly does think the world of you. So please, ladies, realize that your value in God is priceless. Discard as best you can, and it's not always easy, but as best you can, discard the lies that have been told to you about you being nothing and nobody and the way people treated you which communicated to you you're a nobody. It's a lie because God thinks the world of you. And to be honest, that's really all that counts. And secondly, there are tons of people who think you're great. And you know what? There will be a perfect guy for you who will think you're amazing. Not just kid it on, not just for what he can get out of you, but who will truly treat you like a queen and think you're amazing. So don't go devaluing yourself in your needy place and just jumping at the first guy who shows interest, right? The guy who likes the computer, right? (laughs) Seriously, hold out. Do yourself a favor and hold out a bit. Don't be so needy that you jump on the first opportunity you get. Don't devalue yourself that way. Have a, a good self-esteem. That, that doesn't happen overnight. That, just walk with God. Read what his Bible says about you. Read what he thinks about you. Get around some good people. Experience some quality friendships and love. People who don't just love you for what they can get out of you. But you would hope in church, you're going to get a situ- an environment where people are going to treat you with decency and respect. It doesn't always happen. But it's more likely here. So don't devalue yourself by just jumping on the first guy who shows any interest in you. Realize you're valuable in the sight of God. And that's a journey. And it won't happen overnight, but it's a journey. But be a whole person. Guys, sometimes you've had a nasty role model. Maybe your dads were aggressive. And that's been your role model. And it's resulted in you being a needy individual. And to be honest, there's a lot of anger in you. It could be that your dad wasn't the aggressive type, He was totally the opposite. He was so passive and withdrawn. Both are abuse. Both are wrong. Both are a sin. And some of you are passive and neutral and and kind of stepping back. And some of you are so aggressive and in your face, you'll be dangerous. And what happens is if you don't deal with these issues now, what will happen is you will replicate your father and you will end up either being a quiet, passive husband who just lets the world do its own thing and by default life goes downhill and you won't do anything and your, and your wife will be leading the home. Not that there's no, wives can do a great job in the home, but husbands, you're meant to take responsibility. You've got to love your kids. You've got to love your wife. You've got to take, not sit around just kind of like a passenger. You know, if she ain't your mum, you ain't a boy, you're a man. That means you take responsibility. And if you don't deal with the anger thing, you'll end up being a wife beater. And if you do that, we'll beat you. <laughs> so wife beating is the most uncourageous thing, and it happens. It happens. It's happened in this church many times. Seriously. I've had to sit down with, in many occasions to deal with this situation. 
Christian men replicating what they saw in their father. I tell you, you've got, to, you've got to try and deal with these issues as best you can. Get good role models around you. Don't follow the lead of the people you've seen who are not good examples of manhood. True manhood is strong. The Bible says in Proverbs 20, verse 29, the glory of young men is their strength and the honor of old men is their gray hair. Talking about their wisdom. But the glory of young men is their strength. You see, strength isn't the problem. It's what you do with that strength, guys. So often we're channeling our strength into anger and aggression rather than channeling our strength into good things. Don't become a weakling. That's not good. Be a strong person. But make sure your strength is channeled properly. Make sure you've got a proper outlet for your strength. It's called being meek. Meek isn't weak. Meek actually, actually means harnessed strength. That's what meek means. It's like that wild stallion running crazy across the hills. It looks really impressive, but it's useless. But what you do is you break that stallion. Now that stallion can carry weight. Now that stallion can take you from A to B. Now that stallion becomes useful. It's the same stallion, same strength, but that strength has been channeled. That strength has been harnessed. Meekness means harnessed strength. My sister used to have a TVR, 4.5 liter engine. Awesome car, right? I was down in London with her in their TVR. We're going through the streets of London, 30 mile an hour zone, and this car was, it was just itching to go. It honestly, it was just like, mm, come on, let me go. And it was kind of restraining itself. You could just feel the engine really ready. It wasn't like it was a weak car. It was just being restrained for the appropriate context. You see, humility, meekness, isn't that you deny all strength that God has blessed you with, guys. It's just that you choose to channel it right. And my advice is this, channel your strength well. While you've got strength, use your strength to benefit others. Go and help people. Go, Mark Driscoll's advice at the men's conference was single guys get a job. In fact, get three jobs. You need to occupy yourself. <laughs> I think that's good advice. <laughs> you know, use your strength. Make money. Work hard. Bless people. Uh, Nancy, are you here? Nancy? No? Nancy, awesome lady. She just bought her house uh, over in Gorgie. And uh, she, she, she's, she's just settling into her house. And owners around her house last week stripping. Sorry, let me rephrase that. <laughs> Owen Selgroup was round at Nancy's house helping to strip the wallpaper. And they were decorating the house from them. And what was this? Nancy's an awesome person. And here's Owen and the, the young Sel. Nancy's a slightly older generation. Owen Sel is a younger generation. And here's all these young folks round at dear Nancy's house decorating her house for her because she's moved in, using your strength to bless. Why do you just do stuff when you get paid for? How shallow are you? You just, get, you just do stuff when you get paid for it? And you've got all this skill and all this extra time? You're twiddling your thumbs? That's what gets you into sin, man. Get out there, use your strength, start benefiting others. You've got, you've got this moment in life called singleness. That equals a lot of time, right? Use that time well. And I tell you what, that will develop in you good character, which will prepare you for taking responsibility and God will see fit to bless you with a wife because you'll deserve it and you'll, you'll treat her good. <clears throat> so secondly, don't live for self. Don't live for self. Um, here's a terrible quote by Shirley MacLaine. 
the most pleasurable journey you take is through yourself. You only sustain love involvement. The only sustained love involvement is with yourself. When you look back at your life and try and figure out where you've been and where you're going, when you look at your work, your love affairs, your marriages, your children, your pain, your happiness, when you examine all closely, you really find out the only person you really go to bed with is yourself. The only thing you have is worth uh, is working is working for you is a consummation of your own identity. And that's what I've been trying to do all my life, says Shirley McLean, who's had several marriages. Oh, great advice, Shirley. Just live for self. That really worked for you. Not. I want to advise you, don't live for self. You see, when you get married, you make, here's some vows that, that we take people through when they get married. Uh, they say things like this. When they put the ring on, on the spouse's finger, they say, I give you this ring as a seal of the lifelong commitment I have made to you. And in confirmation of our union in the sight of God, all that I am, I give you. All I have, I share with you. That's not lightweight. That's seriously heavyweight commitment. And that, that's the vows people make when they get married. It's, it's all that I am, I give, share with you. And all that I have, I give you. It's like the whole deal. It's total and utter commitment. That's why many people don't want to get married. They just want to have sex and live together. It's that's benefits without responsibilities. And that just never works. But... In vows, you make a commitment for life to be a blessing to an individual. So if you want to prepare well for marriage, if you think that's what God's got for you, then my advice is don't wait till you get married to be a generous person. Start now. Live a life that's not a self-focused life. If you are a selfish individual, purely living for what feels good and what you want to do, then I tell you what, you get married, you're going to face some major issues. Seriously. Your wife's going to have major issues with you. Because you can't just do your own thing And if you think you can, ladies, mark that man and don't marry him. He will not treat you good. He will default back to his old ways. So I advise you to be someone who's a generous person, someone who is a committed person to other people, someone who's not just living for self. Don't wait till you're married before that kicks into gear. You might find you're not ready for it. You might find you've got two or three years of gearing up to really being a selfless individual and you might lose your wife or you might lose your husbands. So my advice is this. Start now. Start being a selfless individual. Start looking out for the needs of others. And do you know what? As you start noticing people around you who are living that way, I would mark them. Start being attracted to kind of people like that. Don't just look at the people who play up when they're, they're around you and act all generous and selfless when they're around you. But treat everyone else like scum. Wash their lives. Not what they say. Wash their lives. <clears throat> if you love something, set it free. If it comes back, it was and always will be yours. If it never returns, it never is yours to begin with. If it sits in your living room, messes with your stuff, eats your food, uses your telephone, takes your money and never behaves as if it was actually set free in the first place, you either married it or gave birth to it. And tragically, so often marriages fall into that rut that you stop respecting each other. You stop, you know, during the dating time, you were all nice, but now you fart in bed. You know what I'm saying? You push her under. Uh, No, just, that's evil. It's evil behavior. 
Some of you are laughing, but you know it's true. It's evil behavior. So what you've got to do, my advice is this, live selflessly just now. You say this at church? Absolutely, it's biblical. My advice is this, live humbly, live generous spiritedly now. Don't wait till you're, you're in the deal, but live in such a way that is committed to the other person. Some of you are thinking, I didn't know you could do that. I'm going to remember that one. So I know you are. You're taking notes. Remember to do this. That will be funny. It's not. It's of the devil. Anyway, Graham told me about that. I don't know anything about that. So, get back on track. So live generously. And then, then once you're in the marriage with the person who's a generous person, if you marry a generous spirited person, you know what? You're going to be a very happy spouse. Because their agenda in life is not them. You marry someone whose agenda in life is them, it might come and bite you. Because they might not change. So if you want to be the best you you can be, then be a generous spirit. And you know what? Even if you don't feel you're meant to be married in life, maybe you're called to be a single person, then this is still good advice. This is this Christ-likeness. It's great. Okay, number three. Become financially sound. Listen to this verse in Luke 16, verse 11. If you have not been trustworthy in handling of worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? If you haven't been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? That's a, that's a heavy duty verse. You think about it. Just think about it for a moment. The Bible's actually saying, if you haven't handled your cash well, then God ain't going to bless you with more important things. That's what it's saying. That's what it's saying. I think, and this verse doesn't stand in isolation. There's many verses in the Bible that indicates that God will watch. He will test your heart based on how you use your money. For example, where your treasure is, your heart will be also. Stuff like that. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. The way you deal with money is totally going to judge, God will base his judgment of you and your heart issues and whether he can bless you or trust you or not with how you deal with cash. And, you know, if, if you are not dealing faithfully with money, then you aren't in a good place to get married. And ladies, I'd advise you, avoid him until he gets his life in order. Um, Proverbs 22, verse 7. The rich rules over the poor and the borrower becomes a lender to the slave. The Bible teaches that if, if you're in severe debt, then the issue is this, that you are a slave to the lender of the debt. They become your master. And if you get married, you are bringing that spouse into that slavery with you. So my advice is this. As a single person, get 15 jobs, <laughs> work as hard as you jolly well can, and get your marriage, get yourself ready for marriage. Uh, Leon van der Merwe, who's uh, one, of the, uh, one of the guys in the church here, he and his family come along. Leon shared a while back in one of our services, his testimony, his testimony, I'll, I'll try and sum it up for you. His story was this, that he and Derju uh, married in South Africa with kids, and they were part of a church. Everything seemed fine, but under the surface, Leon was amassing huge debt through bad business decisions. And he was keeping this secret from Desiree, his wife, and from his kids. He didn't want to expose them to that. But he was struggling on the inside. Then it all came to the surface, and he owed huge amounts of money. It should have taken him, I mean, a long, long period of time to get clear from that debt. 
and uh, he was kicked out of the house. Desiree and Leon separated. It, it, all, it all got bad. But instead of sitting there and getting down about it, he picked himself up. He prayed. He took responsibility before God. He got the best job he could get. He worked every hour God sent. He paid the debt off in a very short period of time. His marriage got repaired. Now they're doing good. They're strong. The cell group leaders in our church here. And that's a great success story. But there's a guy who took responsibility for a situation. Now it's not that you get it perfect. No one's perfect. But the situation is you're taking responsibility. And that is important. Look where someone's going. Uh, Proverbs 14 verse 23 says, In all labor there is profit, but mere talk leads only to poverty. I'm really talking to, to the ladies about the guys here, all right? Uh, because I'm thinking I've got a little girl, and if when, I'm, when she's going to get married one day, this is the kind of advice I would give her. And the fact is, some guys are good with the talk. They've got all these ideas of how they're going to make the money, and how their business plan's going to come through. Da, 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 da. Nothing materializes. All talk, no action, no evidence. You gotta, please don't be so deluded by love that you don't look at the facts. If, if the guy's not getting a grip, then you've got to be careful. You've got to at least go into this with your eyes open. Here's a couple of things the Bible says about uh, laziness. Proverbs 24, verse 30 to 34. I passed by the field of the sluggards and by the vineyard of the man lacking sense. And behold, it was completely overgrown with thistles. Its surface was covered with nettles. Its stone wall was broken down. When I saw, when I, saw I reflected upon it. I looked and I received instruction. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. Then your poverty will come like a robber. And your want will like an armed man. Lazy people become poor. Don't go marrying a lazy guy. Right? Give him a burger and say, get on with your life, mate. Don't go marrying a lazy guy. Look for someone who is a diligent, hard worker. I'm not saying go for a rich guy. I'm not saying that. I'm saying go for a guy with a good attitude. That's what I'm saying. With a rich attitude. Proverbs 10 verse 4 says, Poor is he who works with a negligent hand, but the hand of the diligence makes rich. The Bible teaches that it's good to work hard. Not be a layabout. So guys... If you want to get married, it's not just about your looks. It's not just about how you appear or what you say. It's not about how good you are with your little quirky phrases. All right? Are you a hard worker or are you a layabout? Are you someone who's diligent? Have you got a good attitude? Have you got a good work ethic? Or are you the person who the boss comes along and says, why weren't you working? And he said, well, I didn't see you coming. <laughs> are you that guy? Or are you truly, you, you know what, you take responsibility, you, get, you take the bull by the horns and go for it. Ah, but pastor, I'm trusting the Lord for my provision. Well, that sounds very spiritual of you. But the Lord who you're trusting put this verse in the Bible, you nutter. And he says, go get a job. Seriously. Some people say, oh, the Lord will provide. You're not working. You're in poverty. You're waiting for handouts, right? That is not the Lord's provision. That brings no glory to God whatsoever. Get a job, take responsibility, and be the man. So there. <laughs> Proverbs 13 verse 22 says, A good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children, and the wealth of a sinner is stored up for the righteous. A good man. A, a Bible's definition of a good man is someone who has not just worked hard, 
but someone who in their thinking is catering for the next few generations. Ah, but pastor, the Lord may return any moment. Yeah, you're the guy who needs to get a job. Same guy. And I believe the Lord could return any moment. And in one sense, you've got to live with an awareness that, do you know what? The Lord could return at any moment. I live with that awareness. And do you know what? It freaks me out. It makes me live holy. It, it, it makes me deal with my sin. It stops me getting into corruption because I realize I will have to give an account before God. But at the same time, the Bible does teach us to think long term. The Bible does think, lay up an inheritance for your children's children. Part of being a good steward of your money isn't just that you give it. It's also that you save it and you invest it wisely, and you lay up an inheritance for your children's children so that they can have a good head start. My dream is that, see, uh, me and Angie, we've made a commitment. We're in Edinburgh for life. We're committed to pioneering a church here. And our dream is this, that we see a church rise up where kids can rise up in this church. They become great adults who take responsibility for life, who take responsibility for the city, who work hard, who are diligent, who love people, who are not about them, but who are about them. And as we do this, we change culture. And in the next generation, the next generation in this church is stronger. That their kids are growing up, not making the mistakes of their parents because the parents broke the cycle when they were teenagers. That we can help break the cycles that have so dogged generations of human beings for so many years. That we can break cycles. We can break generational things. People can grow up not repeating the mistakes of the parents and the kids grow up with different role models. And then they grow up and become great role models for the next generation. We can change culture in a very short space of time. So we've got to think long term. Why am I focusing on guys? Well, to be honest, guys, you don't get pregnant, right? So one day, you're going to marry someone, you're going to have a, ladies, you will get pregnant and have a baby, and at that point, you most likely won't be able to work. And if, if he ain't able to keep down a job, you've got problems. I, I'm, to be honest, I'm just asking myself, well, if my girl started dating a guy who couldn't keep down a job, would I advise her to marry him? No, I wouldn't. Because, yeah, it could have been that boss's fault and it was that boss's fault and that situation wasn't right, but at the end of the day, the common factor in all those jobs is you. So maybe there's something in you that needs to change. And uh, I, would have, I, I wouldn't say to my girl, marry a rich guy, I wouldn't say that. That, that totally goes against the grain of what I believe. You marry a quality person, a person with a good attitude. It doesn't matter how much money they've got in the bank, what matters is their attitude. But a layabout, someone who can't keep jobs down, that does not display, that is not manifestation of a good attitude. So I would warn you against going that way. I would say also that, you know what? Everyone's made mistakes. And failure isn't a person. Failure is an event. And events take place in people's lives. So you know what? Some of the greatest people I know are not, are not the people who make, got it all right every time. But they're the people who took responsibility for their mistakes and did something about it. So I'm not saying you look for some perfect, polished individual who hasn't got a track record, a negative track record. I'm not saying you look for someone who hasn't made mistakes in the past because you're going to be looking for an awful long time and you'll die unmarried. I'm suggesting this. You look for someone, no matter how many mistakes they've made, they could have a criminal record, they could have done so many horrendous things, they could have killed 1,500 people, but at the end of the day, right, if they are people who are taking responsibility for their lives and moving in a totally different direction they are a safer bet than the person who seems like they've got it together but they're a lazy layabout. It's to do with the attitude of where they're at now. You see, failure isn't falling down. It's staying down. And some people blow it and they stay down there and grovel in it. The real success is the person who says, you know what, I'm going to pick myself up, I'm going to jolly well make the most of this. And you know what, 
lasses, that's the guy you want. It might not be that you meet them at the end of their journey, but they are certainly pointing in the right direction. Stick with that guy. He's pointing in the right direction. Okay, here's going to be a popular point. Number four, be sexually whole. Apparently, in, at the turn of last century, 1900s, 92% of all brides were virgins. In 1960s, this had fallen to 43% of all brides were virgins. And in the 1980s, it dropped to 14% of all brides were virgins. And now some of you today are saying, what's a virgin? <laughs> so the statistics are changing dramatically. And um, th- th- this is the challenge. This is the challenge. See, sex is really good. It's really good. I'm going to talk to you about that next week. Um, sex is great. But it's for within the context of marriage, according to the Bible. Now, if you don't want to do it the Bible way, that's what you've been doing. But you want it the best way? Then I reckon benefits and responsibilities go hand in hand. And you make a commitment to someone, then you give to that person. Not take from that person, give to that person. You see, if you're just sleeping around, in fact, the guy who's just sleeping around with you, you really think he's interested in you? He's not. He's just interested in what he can get out of you. If he was really interested in you, he'd put a ring in your finger and make a commitment to you that legally bound him to your best interests for the rest of his life. If he was really interested in you. If he just wants to sleep with you, and if he says, if you don't, I'm off, he was never interested in you. Don't be so shallow. Don't be sucked in. It's a lie. Uh, the Bible teaches that sex outside of marriage is called fornication. It's a sin. And it's to be repented of. Now, many of you in this room have done that. You know, we've dabbled in sin. We've mucked around before marriage. But my advice is this. As best you can, be like Britney Spears. Be pure. (laughs) Walk with God till the very moment. And you know what? If you're a virgin, then fight your hardest to get to your marriage bed a virgin. Yeah? Get there whole. And you know what? If you've blown it in the past, as I said earlier, God is a great God. He forgives. He washes clean. But you must take responsibility before him and say, forgive me, God. Some of you think that, well, uh, I'm not sexually pure. I'm dabbling with stuff. I'm on the internet looking at porn. I get porno mags. I entertain myself in this way. But when I get married, then that won't be an issue for me because I'll have a wife then. Right? You're so deluded, mate. You're so seriously deluded. You think that the issues you have as a single person will not continue into your marriage life and ruin your marriage? They totally will. They totally will. And I've had many guys saying to me, when you get married, do your issues change? Do you suddenly... And do you know what? The fact is they don't. Issues before marriage are issues after marriage. Now, sure, marriage helps. But the fact is, if you've got a major sex issue in your life before marriage, it will continue a major sex issue after your marriage. And you know what, if you're going to do your best to be a husband or a wife that will be faithful to your spouse until death, then the best preparation for that is keeping yourself sexually pure until marriage because you've proved that you've got self-discipline. Because when you're married, you're going to need to implement that same skill called self-discipline in that marriage to keep you for one person. Um, Jesus, here's, here's some bits of advice I'd give you. First of all, Guys especially, master masturbation. I I don't mean become skillful at the art of it. I'm saying conquer it. Conquer it. What does the Bible say about masturbation? Uh, Zip. (laughs) Sorry, nothing. 
it, 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 the, I didn't mean that. Uh, it, the Bible says absolutely nothing about masturbation. Peter, I've come to baptismal service. What are you talking to me about? Sorry, we'll get to the baptisms in a minute, right? <laughs> we'll wash you all clean in a minute. But um, what does the Bible say about masturbation? Nothing. But it does say an awful lot about lust. And often the two are connected. Can you say masturbation's a sin if the Bible doesn't say it's a sin? No, you can't. I'm not sure what the issue is in that. I, I'm not sure if it's a sin. My, my suggestion is this. If it's a sin for you, it's a sin. It's to do with your conscience. But I tell you, what I do know is sin is lust. And the Bible says, Matthew 5, verse 28, Jesus says, I say to you that anyone who looks for a woman t- with lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. You see, as far as God's concerned, our sin isn't just the things we do, it's also the things we think. And it's who you've been in bed with in your minds. According to the Bible, that's adultery. And again, as a single person, one of the great preparations you could prepare yourself for marriage, if you want to be a person who's committed one person for the rest of your life, and when you get married, you stay faithful, then my advice is this. That in your single life, think that way. Don't think every single lassie you see or every single guy you see, I wonder what it would be like to have sex with them. If you're thinking that, you're going to be thinking that when you're a married person. That will continue on into your married life. So my advice is this. In your singleness, be the best me you can be Okay, be the best you you can be. I'll be the best me I can be. In your singleness, prepare yourself for marriage by trying your hardest to be one person and thinking, you know what, one day I'm going to enjoy all that. But for now, I'm going to go join a gym (laughs) or something like that. And so the Bible says a lot about lust. And if masturbation for you equals lust, then have nothing to do with it, because that's a sin. That is clearly a sin. Uh, Equally, if masturbation for you equals addiction, then addiction isn't helpful. Not not just because it's a sin, but addiction undermines who you are. If you as a person find it incredibly hard not to do something, and you're kind of, you've got all these urges, and you, like almost like an alcoholic, you cannot stay clear of the alcohol. If that's, if, if it's a take it or leave it thing, that's a different issue. But if, if you are someone who, do you know what, you just cannot live without this, then it has become an addiction. And the Bible talks in Romans 6, 16 about addictions and in many other places. It says, do not you real, don't you realize that you've become a slave to whatever you choose to obey? You can either be a slave to sin, which leads to death, or you can choose to obey God, which leads to righteous living. So you could, slavery to a thing is an addiction. And God doesn't want you a slave to anyone other than him. He wants you to be free and under his lordship. He doesn't want you having anything mastering you. So I want to encourage you, live within your conscience. The Bible doesn't say anything about the word masturbation. So therefore, I'm not going to say it's a sin or otherwise. But if for you, it's something that dogs your conscience, then for you, it's a sin. But what is clear is lust is wrong and addiction is wrong. So live clear, live free. (coughs) Next week's message, we're going to talk more about sex and sexuality and such like. Song of Songs, chapter 2, verse 7 says, Do not arouse or awaken love until it so desires. There is a moment where it's right for that kind of stuff. That the whole sexual world opens up, and that moment is called marriage. In that moment, you wake up love.
Wake up those desires. Allow those things to start going on in your life. But until that moment, do not arouse or awaken love until then. Number five, moving onwards. Get mentors. Get people to mentor you. Um, The Bible talks a lot about the importance of having good role models in life. And it talks about one generation helping the next generation. I think that's biblical. I think it's really good. Here's what it says in Titus 2, verses 3 and 4. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in their behavior, not malicious gossips or enslaved to much wine, teaching what is good, so that they may encourage the younger women to love their husbands and to love their children. You know what my vision is? Is that one generation will teach and equip the next generation. Do you know what? We've made enough mistakes in this generation. How about we help the next generation not to repeat the mistakes of this generation? So ladies, older ladies, you have wisdom. You've got wisdom simply through life experience, maybe through your own mistakes, maybe through observations. You have wisdom. So you know what? Teach the younger ladies. Take them under their wing. Take them under your wing. Encourage them to be great wives, to love their husbands well. Husbands, guys, older men, take younger men under your wing. Teach them to take responsibility, to work hard, to be good husbands, to look after their wives, to treat them with absolute, utter respect. You, and if we can live in this way, so I'm just putting the ball on all of our courts here. So, you know, if, if, if you're a younger person, why not invite older people around for meals so you can learn from them. Invite an older couple around to your house. You're a student. I, I live in a campus student flat that's this size. That's fine. We can all just stand, <laughs> serve them hot dogs or beans or something. That's fine. But just whatever happens, make that opportunity. Why not break them all? Because you always hang out with just people like you, right? Hang out with something totally different. Invite a family around with kids to your campus flat. That'd be really cool. Give them beans and toast. But learn from them. What about, what about families here? Why not invite students or younger people to your house or unemployed folks? Get them around to your house. Let them be exposed to something. Build a relationship. And you know what? Mentor. Learn from each other. You know, I love, the, I love church. Where else in the world do you get such a diverse mix of nutters together? You don't get it anywhere else. You know, at bowling clubs, you get people who are really keen on bowling, right? And they're 70. That's it, bowling clubs. Or if you've got a kind of, I don't know, there's lots of clubs, and you've got people hanging out with people like them, okay? But here's church, where you've got people from different races. And you know what? The Africans can teach us uh, Scottish folks how to respect the next generation because you know what? They work really hard to care for their old. What we do is we just pass them on to the state and hope that they'll care for them, but they don't often, right? We can learn from that culture. You know what? Uh, some of you are come from a, a total nutcase background. You haven't had good parents, and you know what? You can really learn from some of the well-adjusted people who've had good parents. Do you know what? That's great. Be humble enough to learn. Some of the rich people, you can learn so much from the poor people. Some of you poor people, you can learn so much from the rich people. Students, you can learn from uh, older people. Young people, you can learn from older people. You can learn, we've got such an opportunity here where we've got different people from different age groups, social classes, backgrounds, and cultures. You don't get that anywhere else in the world. And we're all told to love each other. Really cool. There's no way out. We must love each other. So we've got an opportunity to learn in a diverse environment called church. I just think that's so exciting. You don't see that anywhere else in society. And the one thing we've got in common is God. And he keeps us on track. So uh, number six, honor your parents. As a single person, thinking about marriage, honor your parents. 
Proverbs 1, verses 8 and 9. Listen, my son, to your father's instruction. Do not forsake your mother's teaching. They will be a garland uh, to grace your heads and to adorn your neck. You see, the fact is, this was written in a Jewish culture. And the Jewish culture were a bunch of people who were all doing their best to follow God's ways. So to apply this verse in this culture might be harder because the fact is, some of your parents are nutcases. And you think, I do not want to take their advice. They are AWOL in their thinking. Uh, they are totally loose cannons, and I'm not going to follow their ways or their advice. Okay, I can understand that. But they're still your parents. So my advice is this. Apply the Bible's advice and at least give your parents enough respect to listen to them. You might find they've got more wisdom than you thought they had. But especially if you have wise parents. Yeah? Now, you, you might think, oh, they're just fuddy-duddies. They're not excited about these things. They're, right? But yeah, nevertheless, they've got age. They've got a certain amount of wisdom. At least give them the justice. At least give them the, the moment to listen to what they've got to say. Really listen to what they've got to say and process what they've got to say. Then if you decide not to take them up on their advice, at least you've given them respect and honor as you should have as a son or a daughter. And that's biblical. You see, there's a moment in, in, in the Bible that teaches children obey your parents. That's children. But when you become an adult and you've still got parents, you don't need to obey them anymore, but you do need to still honor them. Honor and respect is important at whatever age you're at. Um, and, and also, you know, I, I think it's good if you're a guy about to ask a girl to marry, I think it's good you go and ask the father's permission. I do. I think it's good you honor the authorities in her life. I'm saying that as a dad. <laughs> uh, so, so they've got to get past me to get to Becky. Now, it's not an issue. Now. Becky's six, all right? <laughs> but in 12 years' time, it might become an issue. And I want the guy to come through me. He'll have to. <laughs> I think it's respectful. I do. I, I think there should be shields around people's lives. I do. I, 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 it does my nothing to see people making crazy decisions and no accountability in it whatsoever. And sometimes you see that and you think, if only someone had the courage to say, no, don't be so stupid. So dad's actually your responsibility. So honor parents. Let's do it chivalrously. Um, let's do it right. Number seven. Develop true beauty. As a single person, develop true beauty. First Peter chapter 3, verses 3 and 4. Let your adornment not be merely external. Braiding of the hair, wearing of gold jewelry, putting on of dresses, ladies. <laughs> but let it be the hidden person of the heart. If, you, if, if you're struggling with that, listen to last week's message. Let it be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable quality of the gentle and quiet spirit, which is precious in the sight of God. The Bible doesn't say you shouldn't look after yourself. Please don't think that. The Bible says it must not be merely external things. So jazz yourself up by all means, right? Uh, do you agree with makeup, Pastor? Absolutely. Anything that makes my wife look better. So makeup is good. <laughs> but it should not be merely external beauty you must also look to the beauty of the heart. And actually, that is the most important thing. Are you a beautiful person on the inside? Are you a beauty on the inside? The worst thing that could happen to you guys is you end up with this incredible looking doll uh, who is just an arrogant nag, right? And you're stuck with her, right? And you're just like this. And you, you look at her and you think, that's all right. But you just, 
and you live, you live your life like this. And you just have no idea what she's saying. And you, that's the only way you can get through your life. It's not to do with just mere, mere external appearance. External appearance does count. But mere external appearance, it's got to be so much better than that. There's got to be quality inside. And guys and girls develop quality in the inside of you. Proverbs 31 verse 10 says, a, no, a wife of noble character, who can find? She is worth far more than rubies. A, a quality individual. Not just someone who looks the best, but someone who's got great characteristics in life. Good attitudes, good mentality when it comes to things, good value system. That's the kind of person you want to be with. Why? Because you devalue yourself if you give yourself to anyone less. God wants to entrust you to a safe person. And tonight you're getting some Bible advice here that will hopefully protect you from making a silly mistake. Going out with someone with a bad character, you are kidding yourself on and you know it. Make a choice. I'm not going to devalue myself anymore. Now, everyone can change. Leopards can change their spots. So don't give up on them. But whatever you do, don't make a a long-term commitment to someone who is totally going in the wrong direction in life. That will only damage you and your children. Imagine you're a perfect guy or girl. Close your eyes, imagine them. You can picture them. You imagine what they look like. Okay, now for a minute, open your eyes. Imagine you're blind. Imagine you actually never got to see your perfect man or woman, what qualities would you now like in their lives? Because really God sees everything about us. And really the things that make good marriages is the things that are the unseen realm. Really is. You know what? Let's forget marriage for a moment. You and God. That relationship that no one else sees, is it current in your life? Have you got a relationship with God? Are you connected on the inside with him? When no one else sees, do you love him? Is he part of your life? Why not tonight make that decision to allow him to become part, not just part of your life, a little bit of your life. Allow him totally into your life. Let him be your God and choose to follow him. That, forget marriage for a moment. For your own sake, it's the best thing you could do. You, were, you the creation, were designed to walk with God, the creator. It's unnatural for the creation not to know the creator. That is the most normal thing. Follow him. Pledge your life to him. Number eight, make an effort. Now, someone once said, I I take no responsibility whatsoever for this next quote. There is no such thing as an ugly woman, just a lazy one. I take no responsibility for that quote. Make an effort. Make an effort. You see, the Bible says in 1 Samuel 16, verse 7, For God sees not as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Now we know that. We know that God sees the heart of people. And the heart is the most important thing. But you know what? People see the outside. Now the first point before this point was look after your inside. That's the most important thing. But secondly, I want to follow up by saying this. Look after your outside. Look after yourself. Appearance does count. Dress well, yeah? doesn't need to be expensive, but look after your appearance. Be clean. <laughs> Guys, get aftershave. Seriously. Get aftershave. Get deodorant. <laughs> Brush your teeth. Brush your teeth. Every day you need to read your Bible, pray, and brush your teeth. <laughs> so essential. Twice a day. Brushing your teeth will really help you 
one of the first tips, because you, you can never get close to anyone, and you wonder why. Simple, brush your teeth, get aftershave. Also, guys, in terms of your appearance, treat women like ladies. Treat them with dignity. Treat them with respect. Right? Be very nice. Be courteous. These are just good quality things. These are important things. Um, don't act like a boy. Act like a man. She doesn't want to marry a boy. She wants to marry a man. So act like a man. Someone once said to me and Ange when we were getting married, if you want her to treat you like a king, treat her like a queen. I thought it was a good bit of advice. And you know what? You can start living like that before you're a married person. You can just treat the other sex with great respect, dignity. In fact, every human being deserves dignity, whether at the bottom of the dung heap or whether the richest individual ever meet. Every human being in the sight of God and in our sight should be the most important person ever because value has nothing to do with what you do. It's everything to do with who you are in the sight of God. Everything to do with that. So treat people with respect and dignity and love. So look good. Look after yourself. Ladies, when it comes to looking good, do look good, please. You do. (laughs) You really do. But I want to say, please, don't dress like hookers. You're going to get the wrong kind of guy. You have no idea how your seductive dressing affects guys. It does their nuts in it, right? And you've got to really protect guys around you from that. So really dress good. Look real good. You do. I don't need to give you any advice on that. But my advice is this. Don't dress seductively. You will attract the wrong kind of guy. Again, you're devaluing yourself. Dress good. Dress cool. Dress hot. But don't be seductive. Protect yourself from that. Ninthly, and most importantly, be a fulfilled single person. 1 Corinthians 7 verse 17 says, Do not be wishing you were someplace else or with someone else. Where you are right now is God's place for you. Live and obey and love and believe right there. God, not your marital status, defines your life. You see, if you are a person who is trying somehow to find fulfillment by getting married, you've believed a lie. Fulfillment does not come from getting married. Fulfillment comes from a relationship with the God who made you. Uh, can I have, can you, Sam, could you bring up those glasses there? Do you have, Andrew McGreen, are you here? <laughs> Andy, let's welcome Andy. Sure, Sammy. Right, guys. Uh, now, what, you hold that second? Cheers, man. Right, Sammy, can you bring that bottle of water over? I'll finish this one quickly. If I have two empty glasses here, right, this is, don't do this at home. You know, sometimes chemistry experiments can go horribly <laughs> wrong. So hold, it, hold the glass high for me, Andy. So if you have two empty glasses... Right, two empty glasses and pour them into one. What do you get? <laughs> Emptiness. So if you have two individuals thinking, you know what, I know what I've been looking for. I'll get married. That will bring me such fulfillment in life. <laughs> it's empty. You have two empty people coming together. What do you get? 
more emptiness. However, right, Sammy, it's... <laughs> Cheers, mate. Put them on that. Thanks, dude. You've done this before, Sammy. Yeah? Uh-huh. Awesome. So have you. <laughs> you have two fulfilled people. You know what? Fulfillment comes from a relationship with God. You know God. You love him. <laughs> Hold it high, man. Hold it right up high. I'm up on the stage, man. How, how do you expect me to reach it? Okay, so you have, you have two individuals who are thoroughly fulfilled in life, and they come together in marriage. Then do you know what happens? They, I'll, I'll finish in a minute. They, they end up with a fulfilled marriage, and a fulfilled marriage. And not only, not only does that fulfilled marriage... Hey. Not only does this fulfilled marriage bless them. You know what this fulfilled marriage does? It overflows to others. It becomes a blessing to so many. And um, what are you laughing on? Thanks, guys. Let's hear it for our volunteers. Woo! None of you got that point at all, did you? You just soak the guy, soak the guy. You missed the point. You missed the point. You have two individuals who are unfulfilled and they think that, oh, I'll get fulfillment in marriage. Do you know what all you end up with is emptiness magnified and you take it out in each other. But if you have two people who are fulfilled, whole, strong, not like you're perfect, not like you've got it all sorted. We're all on a journey, right? We've all been messes and we're just a better mess on track for Jesus. He's our saviour. I'm serious. You have two individuals who are trying to live their best for Jesus. They are full, and when they come together, there's an overflow. And their life not just enriches each other, they bless other people. They have an abundance from which they, they are prospering financially and they can give to others. They, they have got joy and happiness so they can provide meals for people in a home that's happy home. And you walk into a home like that, you know it's a happy home. They haven't just put on the smiles when you walked in, you know it's a happy home and you like being in that place. Live for nothing less. Be a fulfilled individual. That comes from a relationship with God. You see, folks, singleness is not second best. Singleness is not a means to an end. It's not just a transient stage to get through to get to the real thing. No, 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 no. Fulfillment comes from Jesus Christ. Come into a relationship with him. Jesus puts it this way, Matthew 6, 33. He will give you all you need from day to day if you live for him and make the kingdom of God, your primary concern. The Bible teaches if you make him first place in your life, you follow him, then he'll provide every need you've got, including big needs like marriage. It says in another place, Psalm 34 verse 10, they who seek the Lord will not want for any good thing. Proverbs 18.22 says that he who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains a favor from the Lord. So you seek the Lord, he'll provide you every good thing you need. Be fulfilled in your singleness, not, as a sing- not in singleness, but in Jesus as a single person. He is your purpose for living. And I tell you what, you, you will find more fulfillment in a relationship with God than in any other relationship going. Do you know what? I love my wife to bits. I think she's amazing. I'm so committed to her. I think she's an awesome individual. She's got so many good character qualities. She's stuck with me, and it hasn't been easy. This has been a, we haven't chosen the easiest route in life. 
but she stuck with me. She's got great character qualities. But do you know what? She is not my ultimate hope for fulfillment, so she doesn't let me down. My ultimate hope for fulfillment is in Jesus, and he never lets me down. Totally dependable. So he's my hope. I pin all my hopes on him. And do you know what happens as a result? I'm not left wanting. I'm happy. And Angie's the same. She finds her fulfillment in God. You know, to be honest, the time when, uh, there was times as a single guy when I was on the lookout for girls and I was doing my best and I, I wasn't being seedy about it. I was just on the lookout and trying to find the right person. But do you know when I met Angie? It was actually when I was looking least. I, I remember it was a time when I was involved in leading things in the Glasgow church. I was just pursuing God's purpose. Honestly, I was just, it was at a point where, where actually, take or leave it, I was actually quite happy. I was just loving God and wanting to make a difference with my life. And it was then that God brought Angie into my life. Actually, that's probably when you're, you're most attractive, when you're fulfilled. You, you want to be with a fulfilled person, really. That's what you want. So be that fulfilled person for them. Ladies, there's nothing more attractive than a guy who is taking responsibility for his life before God. Nothing more attractive than that. And there's actually nothing more safe than that. Someone who's not taking responsibility before God. You see, you can take responsibility for people, but that's only when they see. But if someone's taking responsibility before God, what they're saying is this. Whether anyone sees or whether they don't, I'm living my life before God. If someone's truly doing that, that's a very safe bet. It doesn't mean they're perfect. It does mean, however, that they are doing their utmost in the sight of God to move towards God's purpose for their life. Guys, one of the greatest things you should look for in a lassie is someone who has taken responsibility for their life before their God. Because you know that whether you see them or whether you don't see them, whether you're with them or whether you're not with them, whether they're away somewhere and you don't, can't watch them, you know that they are authentically trying to follow Jesus. And that fear of God keeps them right. That's the safest bet for you. So be the best me you can be. Be the best individual you can be. You cannot change other people, but you can change you. And while we've been talking about marriage, we've also been talking about the biggest relationship, your relationship with God. And, you know, my advice is this. Becoming a Christian, following Jesus, isn't about becoming a member of this church, right? You'd be welcome to, and I'm sure it would help you. There are other great churches in this city as well. But, you know, it's not about becoming religious either. What it is about is this. It's the best relationship that's available to you for free. Jesus died on the cross so you could be forgiven for your sins. He rose again the third day. He's alive. In fact, he's in this room now by his spirit. You can sense him. And he wants to be part of your life. But he will not force that upon you. It's your call. Just as in that wedding day when I said, I do to my wife, I then waited for her to reciprocate it. And she said, I do. At that point, an unbreakable contract was formed, a covenant. And 2,000 years ago, Jesus on the cross said, I do, to humanity. He paid the ultimate price. He made his commitment. And he puts the ball in our court. The ball's in your court. I do to Jesus Christ. And it's not like, yeah, I'll become religious, I'll believe in him. No, no. It's like, I give you my whole life, God. It's a commitment. We're not talking half-hearted nonsense. That's what gives religion a bad name. We're talking the real McCoy. True, authentic, believing in Jesus. Whether anyone's seeing or not, total commitment to him. Jesus, here's my ambitions, my whole life, my future. 
I'm going to follow you. And do you know what? He is the safest bet in life. And you were born for that. I'm not asking you to do anything that's unnatural. I'm asking you to do the most natural thing for you, a human being, to worship your creator. That's it. And if you want to become part of this church after that, you'd be very welcome to. But forget that for a moment. You and Jesus. Let's pray. God, I want to thank you so much that you said your great I do when you died on that cross and you paid the price for our sin and you offer us free forgiveness. Now, God, my prayer is that we will have the courage to say to you, I do, that we will make our commitment to you. We will respond to you, God, and we will make that commitment to you. God, I pray for, thank you for this dear bunch of people here tonight. Thank you, God, as we've heard tonight, every single individual is wonderful in your sight, is loved by you. And God, you love people and there's no need for anyone to have a low self-esteem, although many of us suffer with it. But the reality is, God, you love us. And if we only could grasp how much you love us, I know self-esteem would never be ever be an issue in our lives again. God, I pray for this precious bunch of people. You know each one of them, God. You know their lives, you know their past, you know their heartaches, you know their angers. God, I pray that you would bless them. I pray you'd help them through this challenging life. I pray tonight as we've heard advice from the Bible that we'd have the courage to take that advice, not for anyone else's benefit other than our own, that God, actually, your advice really does work. And at the end of the day, it just benefits us by taking it. Give us the courage to follow your word. God, I pray for anyone here tonight who isn't yet in a relationship with you. I pray tonight you'd give them the courage to cross that line, to make that commitment to you. Just take a moment to respond to God. Pray. Talk to him about some of the stuff you've heard. While people are doing that, maybe you're here tonight and you're saying, Peter, I want to make my relationship right with God. I want to enter into this commitment with God. I want to know his forgiveness. I want to experience a new start tonight. And I want to find my fulfillment in my God. If that's you tonight, then I'm going to invite you to make a commitment to him just now. It might be that in some point in the past, you have already made a commitment. But for whatever reason, you've walked away from that. Or it might be that you've never made that commitment. Well, this is a very, very important moment. And I want to give you this opportunity to make your commitment to God whether it be coming back to a commitment that you previously made or whether it be for the first time you're saying, God, I'm committing myself to you. Come tonight. Find your fulfillment in the God who made you and who loves you more than you could ever know. And he's here right now and he wants to be part of your life. And this is what I'm going to do is this. If you want to make that commitment to God, I invite you to repeat this prayer after me. Just pray this as as your response to God. And I don't ask you to pray this out loud. It's not about who he is. I invite you just to simply pray this prayer under your breath. Pray this prayer to God. If that's you tonight and you want to make that commitment to God, pray with me. Pray, dear Lord God, I want to thank you so much for your love for me. Thank you, care for me. And thank you, you know me. God, I've blamed you for so much in the past. I've lived like you're not there. I've done my own thing. But tonight I acknowledge you. And tonight I choose to follow you. 
tonight, God, I make a commitment to you. Jesus, thank you for dying for me in that cross so I could be forgiven. And right now, I ask you for that forgiveness. I ask you to cleanse me. Deal with the sin. Deal with my brokenness. Give me a new start. Thank you, Father, for your forgiveness. And Jesus, I believe that three days after dying, you rose from the dead. And I totally believe in you today. And I now pledge my allegiance to you. I make you the Lord of my life. And from here on in, to the best of my ability, I'm going to follow you till one day I meet you face to face. Thanks, Lord, for hearing my prayer. Thank you for accepting me this evening as your child. Amen. Amen. Keep your eyes closed just for a moment. I'm going to, I'm going to keep praying. Just keep your eyes closed. If anyone is here tonight and you just made that commitment, you prayed with me there, you made that commitment, whether it be for the first time or whether it be this is you rededicating yourself to the Lord. If that's you, I would love the privilege of praying for you. And what I'm going to ask you to do is this. While everyone else's eyes are closed, I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to get you to stand up or call you to the front or draw anyone's attention to you. But very simply, where you're sitting with, and everyone else's eyes are closed, if you prayed that prayer, I would love the privilege of praying for you. I'm going to ask you to do a very simple thing. In order to know who I'm praying for, can you just simply raise your hand and put it down again? Thanks. Anyone else? If you prayed that prayer, thanks. Keep up for a moment. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Anyone else? You prayed that prayer. Just put your hand up so I can see it. Then I'll pray for you. Thank you. Anybody else? Thank you. God, I ask you, Father, for these precious individuals who just put their hands up in acknowledgement that they prayed that prayer. God, I ask you right now that they in this moment would experience your love, your peace, your great relief. I want to thank you, God, that when they ask forgiveness, according to the Bible, you grant it. You forgive. You wipe the slate clean. And in your sight, they are now forgiven. And that's great news. The past is officially dealt with. I pray now, God, give them the power to overcome the emotion of the past and the, and the hold the past has had. But thank you as far as you're concerned, it's dealt with. God, I thank you as they've put their faith in Jesus. The Bible promises that they now have eternal life. I pray that in this moment, they would know that as a reality. That they wouldn't just know that in their head, but in their heart, they would know, do you know what? I'm going to live forever with God. I pray, give them that peace right now. I pray, God, empower them now to live for you. Help them to find their fulfillment in you. And I pray, God, as they walk in this journey, help them to get connected with a great church where they can grow in their faith. Help them to grow in their faith and read their Bible and become the person that you've always longed for them to be. Thank you, you love them. Thank you tonight, you've accepted them and heard their prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Let's stand to our feet. We're just going to uh, close by worshiping God.